Hello everybody, I'm Dave. And I'm Dougie. And welcome to our podcast dedicated to all things tabletop role-playing games. Each week we bring you the latest news coming out of the tabletop role-play gaming world, along with tips, tricks and advice on any and all areas of this wonderful hobby. We will also be getting together with some of the players from our own games to get their input on the week's sessions, getting inside scoops on their characters, predictions for where each game is heading, and much more in a segment we like to call Tavern Talk. As well as answering any questions from you, the listeners. So, sit back. And relax. This is Dungeon Drift. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dougie. Episode 7. Oh, the hitch. I know. Now, I've heard, I'm sure I've, I've told you that episode 7 is the one where, where most podcasts either pass or fail. So I'm hoping we can carry on after this. Well, the, the numbers are going up. They and, are. Uh, obviously, that was partly last week due to the introduction of social media advertising yes um yeah where did we go absolute tabletop i think is where we we posted so thank you to anybody on our absolute tabletop group on facebook who has uh, liked our facebook page um, i also threw it into dungeons and dragons uk dnd dm channel and a couple of my discord channels as well that's amazing you see you do all the legwork i just sit here and press record I press the buttons, you do, that's all. You do the editing and then put it up late. Not late. I've still got, I've got till midnight tonight. Mm, you did say last week that it would be up before the podcast was recorded. Oh, you said that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this week, um, now we haven't actually added into the intro yet about our new segment, which is Spell Spotlight, have we? Um, no, so- we haven't. I felt that went quite well last week, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I think that's gonna become a regular thing. I I think so too, and we've got an idea for another regular slot that uh, we're not gonna re- not, don't reveal yet. That might no, come no, next no, week. No, no, no. I was gonna say we're gonna uh, review it, analyze it, and then uh, possibly introduce it next week. Yeah, absolutely. So this week, absolutely, absolutely. This week we have. Um, we have another guest with us this week. He's one of our players. Uh, one of my players, actually, is in my games. He's not in your games. He's mine. He's not yet, no. No. Um, there are very good reasons for that, though, in all fairness. He's very busy. Um, we've also, we're also going to have uh, the discussion about whether a DM screen is useful or should be used or um, our viewpoints on that and rolling behind said DM screen. Um, um, we're also going to discuss the uh, age-old question of how and why you should set a DC. Uh, what's that difficulty class? Um, for those of you who don't know, I had to think then myself. Um, now that's not something I'm overly familiar with because I just use encounter builders to do my encounters. You're jumping ahead of the game a little bit there, Dave. No, I know. Got the interview I, know. First. I was going to say, I'm going to let you handle that segment. Um, and then after that, we will... Um, We'll do our spell spell spotlight, which we'll talk about later on. So I think we should probably bring the the guest in now. Um, he is uh, a talent, a very talented comic book colorist. Um, he he's a writer. Uh, he he actually did a very really good image for me for my uh, was it my birthday. I think it was yeah. Um, so we've got Andy Andy Poole with us today. Hello, Andy. 
Hello, dudes. Um, so just while we're on about your your professional life, where can we find your artwork? Um, my portfolio's up on ArtStation uh, under Creative Pool. Excellent. Um, have you got a link for that? We can put in the, the description later. Yeah, I got it over to you. That's wonderful. So, Andy, tell us a little bit about your your history with RPGs. What got you into it in the first place? Oh, bloody hell. Um, I originally started off on message boards, like anime fan boards and that, um, where you do a lot of text RPGs, like uh, what they call spawn, and so you create a character, he has whatever powers, abilities, and through text, you describe your battles. Um, that was probably my first foray into RPGs at the time growing up Liverpool you didn't really have much outside of football and maybe cartoons on TV so kind of getting into other pop culture stuff more uh, indie type stuff wasn't really available so when I first discovered Dragon Ball Z of all things um, and started joining fan sites and stuff like that that's where they started doing text roleplay and after that it was PC gaming, Baldur's Gate, things like that. Um, but first got me into at least Dungeons and Dragons um, as a world. And um, learning from that, learning that it was a tabletop game, always wanting to play, but never having the opportunity. And we didn't really know about gaming stores, comic book stores, even though I was getting heavily into it at that point. I still didn't know that kind of thing existed. So eventually, years later, um, not very long ago, discovering I could download the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Player's Handbook, getting all of them and one of my first games. That's brilliant. So so you started really with, with D&D and things like that, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, what edition did you start with? Fourth. Four, oh, fourth. The, divide, uh, the, the dividing one. Don't say, oh, yeah. I loved fourth edition. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> it was very much like, I thought it was like playing like World of Warcraft. It seemed very gamey. Agreed. Like for me, always like I wanted the storytelling aspect, but fourth edition was very much a tactics. Yeah. Well, going back to its roots, I suppose. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I, I found that fourth gave you more options for building the character you wanted more, whereas other editions are quite quite narrow and selective. Yeah, I did have quite a lot. It was really good for marshals as well, like your dailies and. Uh, yeah, having the different abilities. It's, it's easy, like now in fifth edition, to have like a spell cast to take up all that versatility. But then fourth was really good for your, your paladins and your fighters. Um, cause like I said, they had so many abilities. Agreed. I enjoyed it for those aspects. Yeah, sounds like a lot of your uh, trigger points to get you into the RPG um, environment were very similar to my own. Mm. Um, for me, it was it was more based on computer gaming. Yeah. So, um, as you say, Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, um, Temple of Elemental Evil, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, Neverwinter and all that. Oh, Neverwinter Nights was brilliant. Well, we always grew up, we always had a console in the house. Even a poor family, my dad made sure that we had a Sega or Nintendo or something. And then getting into PC where there was a lot more of the traditional uh, computer RPGs and that. Yeah, that's where it got me. Baldur's Gate 2 especially 
Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so what systems have you played in other than just 4th edition? I've only ever played 4th edition and 5th edition on the table. So you've only played D&D? Yeah. Wow. Any other systems that you'd be interested in? Um, five Rings look quite good to me. Um, I'm not sure what system that uses, but the game itself looked quite good. I like the kind of the uh, the Far East. Um, Call of Cthulhu, I'm quite interested in. Um, do you know what? I did look quite a bit into Shadowrun. Oh, Shadowrun's brilliant. I've mentioned that a couple of times. Yeah, we, we've uh, we've talked about that a bit, haven't we? Yeah. It's just, just something about a whole, just two hands full of D6s to roll, you know. I've heard some great stories, and yeah, it's one of those things that grabs me. The, the great thing about Shadowrun is, although it's sort of based around D&D, it's a... It's taken D and D, stripped them, almost stripped the magic out, dropped it two thousand years in the future, and it's jammed technology into D and D. Yeah, uh, and it's just, it's just again, it, it opens up so many different classes and race combos, almost back to four E again, mm. set in a different time. I, I, I loved my uh, my foray into Shadowrun. Well, I played some of the latest games on the PC, so like all the flavor for that the cyberpunk and kind of like the druidic side of it and that really grabs me yeah I'm really really into that so playing at the table I've, I've looked at like the uh, the character building and I understand how it works the point buying stuff it's really really good it gives you a lot more like you said there's a lot more diversity in what you can do for your character to build I ended up playing a um, dwarven version of Wolverine <laughs> so he had he had the healing, he had the claws and that, but he was an absolute crackhead. Well, it's um, quite it's, it's quite funny because he's pretty much a dwarf in the comics anyway. Yeah, and uh, basically I was I was a hitman for hire, and uh, at one point I had to go get uh, an object from uh, a drug lord's um, bedroom. So I went in there and uh, I was disturbed, so I went under the bed. Um, he started getting jiggy jiggy with this young lady. And I ended up just stabbing them both through the bed with my adamantium claws, <laughs> taking the object and walking out. It was brilliant. <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, there's, uh, the, the Legend of the Five Rings is absolutely something that I want to get involved in. Um, and that's for the, the Oriental feed to it as well. That's something I've, I very much enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like to say, I hear the story. I watched some guys on YouTube and... It's going on about a session. It's just completely different kind of like the uh, the culture to it. Is um, they do some quest for uh, a lady, some high ranking elite, and um, she offers them a gift in return. But they didn't, as players, they didn't want to take it. They were just trying to keep it in the good books, and so they reject this this reward. And it's just this great moment where she just goes completely silent looks down on them and says, you will not make me lose face. And just that other side of different culture brought in. So, you know, obviously you're going to take the gold off the king and keep coming back to him for more. But this other culture to it, really, really, I liked it. And you feel like a fish out of water if, if it's run right, you know. Brilliant. So the uh, you've only played D&D. &D. Um, 
Am I right in saying it's you started D and D with my session when when I when I first met you? Well, fourth edition, I tried running back in the day for yes. family. Um, didn't go great, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, I think we ended up three sessions, and then it didn't quite feel for us. And then, yeah, the next time I played, well, no, the next time I played after that, I picked up the fifth edition stuff and I ran a game for my partner. Yes, um, of course, yeah. Which we do a lot of, of uh, individual play with here. And then after that, it was, yeah, it was you, Dave. Brilliant. When we were in the, the little back room of that pub. The little back room. I remember the first session brilliantly. Good. I like that. Well, well I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> no, it's a good thing. No, it sticks. So in the this, the sessions you've played, what is your most memorable moment? Well, you've mentioned one anyway. The most memorable, we were playing Dragon of Ice by a Peak. This yeah. was, yeah, me and Dougie had a dual character. Um, where I was the, the, was I a halfling hobbled? No, uh, you were a gnome, weren't you? I was you a gnome. I was a hobbled gnome. He used to ride on his back, yeah. And we were in, I can't remember the name of the, the, the town, but it was the, it was the gnome town. Up near Silverspire. Yeah, and spoilers, anyone listen, um, it was the whole thing with the mimics. Yes. And uh, we had this moment at the end where my character had figured out that one of the thrones of the two kings in this place was one of the mimics. And I tell Dougie's character, big half-orc uh, bruiser, blaster. To, to attack it. Yeah, blaster, master you blaster. master and I was blaster. <laughs> and... I wanted to give it a bit of flavour, so I cast jump on him. But at the time, it's got um, wild magic uh, going on in the place. So when I cast my spell, there's a wild magic surge, and it happened to be teleport. And at that moment, <laughs> I remember this. You had, yeah, that moment of inspiration to put me on the throne. So I wasn't just, <laughs> I wasn't just getting grappled by this mimic. Wait, I think you just stick to it. I've got Blaster jumping through the air with his axe, I think he was using. <laughs> um, ready to cleave me right in two. It was... <laughs> it's like the most dire situation one week had has ever been in. But one of the funniest, like, perfect kind of... I, I don't know what was going on in your head because you could have put me anywhere, but to put me straight on that... on that bloody chair... <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. Crit for that. You did, did roll you? A crit for that, yeah. That attack roll was the crit that took the mimic down in one hit. Christ. Yeah, and then he split me up through my through the center. Yeah, I've got no idea what was going through my head with that either. I just thought, hang on a minute, we've got this big massive thing flying towards you. This thing that can hold you there in place while he's flying towards you. I'm gonna put you on the throne. Why not? <laughs> I mean I would have been dead in if that had hit me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be the end of that 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 session. That was a little quick. <laughs> I like that. That was, that was that was a great character combo as well. I really enjoyed that. Based yeah, on um, Mad Max. Mad Max. That's it. Three into Thunderdome. Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. Beyond Thunderdome. Cool. 
that was uh, that was fantastic. Um, so you you said you'd do some one on one role play with uh, your partner, and also you've played a couple of games. Mm. What's your favourite class race combo? Well, in fifth edition, I've only played Ranger, which was Elf, Wood Elf. That was our first session that Dave. Um, human rogue thief and oh no and I've played a uh, half elf sorcerer and a half elf paladin slash sorcerer I think and a gnome and a gnome druid not for long um, class I think sorcerer is my just uh, I think I spoke to Dave before about it but that just innate power and um, not learned like the wizard um, but something that is like kind of purely comes from the person themselves um, and for that I really like the draconic and for race I don't quite think I've got a favourite yet I do like half elf I like that in terms of in world kind of trap between the ancient kind of elegance of elves and then the you know the uh, the humans uh, who live far less I think having a cow that tries to balance between those two um, is quite good same for things like half orcs um, actually if, uh, if there's any a number of kind of half races I quite like I like people being torn between two worlds I think it's quite easy as well for a player to find kind of inner conflict in those things as well so if you want to role play I think choosing a race like that it's, uh, it's probably easiest for you definitely obviously you said you've only played a few races and classes which if you had then to say this race class I would love to play absolutely something I'm dreaming of what would it be I'm doing that right now and that's the half elf paladin sorcerer I think I've always I like the idea of um, the magic swordsman and I don't think you quite get I know wizard has um, blade singer um, but still seems too heavy on the wizard side so uh when you got sorcery and aspect of those spells, uh, access to those spells, sorry, um, that you can augment yourself. Um, so, you know, the half-elf or the human or whatever you use, you can add jump, you can fly, haste, all these things that make you seem more, I suppose, super-heroic um, alongside abilities like green flame blade and booming blade and those things that affect your weapon. Um, I think that suits it a lot better. Yeah, um, Sorcerdin's a nice combo. Yeah, and I know it's one of those. It's actually one of those, um, one of the power options. But I've not gone for the spells in this current game um, that make you that powerful. I've gone everything that is augmenting the person to make him seem more, uh, more powerful in himself. Yeah, I, I had a look at your character sheet earlier on, actually, and um, it was quite ironic that. There were a few spells on there that you, you had the, the conventional fireball and the green flame blade and the booming blade and stuff. And I, I sat there and looked for my druid spell list and I've got three damage dealing spells and that's it. 
the rest are support or um, just just there to make combat easier or to make role play easier. They don't all have to be based around combat. So yeah. it's ironic that both of us actually haven't really gone for the, the conventional damage dealers. Yeah, I only took fireball because like well, there's not much else on that level that on the third level spells um, that I really wanted. Thunderstep was the one. It's like lovely spell. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I've been an anime fan. You always see those scenes where you know the character shoots off the spot so fast that the ground rumbles beneath them. You know what I mean? I love that. Like, yeah. like, um, like the, the whole superhero landing type thing or superhero taking off like Superman or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or like yeah. when Neo, you know, flies off from the ground in the matrix, I just like things blowing up that like they're, they're that powerful that when they move, yeah. things explode around them. And that just gives the flavor for that perfectly. Um, it's nice being able to teleport a bit as well. I think yeah. with your with your love of um, anime and superheroes and comic books and stuff, have you ever thought about the um, the the, super, the system mutants and masterminds or like the hero system or champions and things like that? Uh, you've shown me hero system. Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> suggesting you start with hero system. It's bloody extensive, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's... Things like mutants and masterminds. It's um, that's another good system. I haven't played it for a long time, so I'm not even going to try and talk about it because I'll probably get it wrong. But it is basically it's it's a superhero game. Mm. Um, do you remember the MMO Champions Online? Or have yeah. you heard of it? Yeah, well, yeah. there is actually a Champions. Um, uh, RPG Um, and it's very much very similar to Mutes and Masterminds as far as I remember Um, but I think that might be a a good suggestion for you to take a look at well I was going to go in that direction because I played City of Heroes oh me too Um, oh we could do a whole conversation uh, about that game yeah (laughs) Um, yeah I do like that side of it and it's it's, I think it's another one of those things that's really accessible to a player because everyone knows a whole number of superpowers they've seen it all you know yeah uh, especially what's the justice league to... especially in today's day and age with avenger with the marvel cinematic universe the dc stuff yeah. you know even things like the boys on amazon prime you know that's that's the superhero the going that's not the one where they're going to uh, to kill the superheroes yes yeah i've not watched it yet it's very good it's very good i'll get into it um so just over a year ago um, something happened in your life that, that changed how you game. Um, you became a dad for the first time, but not just once. You, you, you had twins, if I'm right. Yeah, my, my life ended twice. <laughs> <laughs> so I know it's been difficult for you, but what is it like trying to find time to game and, and have that, that escapism around having a family? Do you know, if it was a single child be a lot easier and when you have something like twins and you kind of find out there's a whole other world of parenting that other people don't quite get i'm glad you said parenting and not pain (laughs) i thought the two came as one um yeah so time is it's very much not your own it's the same with a single kid you know when you become a parent you become a father mother um everything you do goes into those kids your work life is for those kids and um, your spare time is for those kids and um, that's just the way it is it's just you know, the human nature and mm. um, 
working around it. Well, I mean, as me DM, you know how hard it is. I play the game at you every two weeks. It's yeah. it's hard to afford myself any time outside of that. Um, my days are taken up with kids. My evenings are work. Um, and then not getting much sleep because they, they're a nightmare in the evening overnight. So... Welcome to parenthood, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they've hit that milestone, the first birthday. They're doing okay. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to find more time soon. Um, we've got a big move coming up. If we find a bigger place, um, more, you know, somewhere bigger for them to toddle around and, and for the mum to have some time with them, we have time separate. We'll have our own spare time to do what we want then. Yeah. Um, so, so every week now dave prepare yourself hey i'm i'm absolutely fine with that if you want to come and join in our <laughs> traveler game as well that's fine yeah going back to your um one of your first comments then andy when you were saying you were doing a um text games um play by yeah. post um is that something you've considered going back to now that you find time a bit scarcer now you've got the twins um I don't know. I'm not sure many people are doing it these days. Um, so, I mean, with the likes of Skype and Discord and Zoom and, and, and um, all that, I think message boards are kind of dying out a bit. Um, but it's been so long. And I, I, I'm personally, as a hobby, and hopefully at some point professionally, I'd like to write novels. So a lot of my time, if I'm going to be typing on that keyboard, it's going to be uh, for a book. Yeah, I, I only say that because um, many, many years ago now, I used to do a Star Trek play-by-post quite extensively with a couple of friends. Oh, and cool. um, that still took up as much time as a normal session when you have to sit there, read everything that everyone's put, and then link that into what you're doing and say, yeah. well, actually, I wouldn't know that because my character wasn't there at the time, so I need to ignore that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's quite extensive as well. And I yeah, think that's what I think that's what sort of made me realise what metagaming was. Because a couple of times when I first started doing that, someone would say, "Well, how would you know that?" You sit there and think, "That's a very good point." Actually, my character yeah. was on a different ship or in a different room when mm. you put that. And I'm like, "Yeah, very, very good point." Mm. So. I think it's time for us to move on to our to the to the main content we've we've done uh, of this episode. What do you think? Yeah, go on then. Why not? Sure. So, as a DM, I use a DM screen when we're around a table. I I find I even make them. I, I make wooden DM screens to to sell as well. But I'm, I'm not going to plug that here. It's a Wizards and Wood on Etsy. I'll uh, I'll sort that out later. He's on LinkedIn too. Um, yeah, so I, I, I use a DM screen, not necessarily for the information on the back, especially for D&D, &D because I find that the information, I do already know it, or if I need to look it up, it's easy to look it up on D&D &D Beyond or on in the player's handbook or something like that. However, I do think you should have that privacy, being a DM, so you can hide things from your players. What do you think? Is that for me or Dougie? Uh, either of you. Hey, you can go, mate. That's fine. I'll go first. Um, I think it I think if we talk about metagaming just before and 
the screen will stop that obviously players if they spot something might use it to the advantage and hope not I hope you find a table where people are going to be you know on the up and up um, so for that aspect yeah a screen um, but I think it really depends on who you're playing with do people like the idea of not knowing what's coming do they trust the DM um, me personally I'd use a screen I like the idea of of them not knowing what's coming of I don't necessarily fudge uh, dice but I think there may come a time for the sake of the player's story in the game for the drama or uh, you know for that side of it you might want to fudge a dice if you don't want to play it to die if it's if it's really feeling like an unfair game like the, you know the cards are absolutely stacked against a certain player or the party you may well want to you know have that dragon miss or not have those rocks fall on everyone um, so it could be handy for that but again I think it's something that you should pick you should pick up with your players on session zero do you want me to roll live and therefore there'll be no easy going on you um, or do you want to not know what's coming and just and just play the game that way yeah, because not, not using a screen, or sorry, using a screen opens up that whole conversation about whether you should fluff dice rolls as a DM, um, whether you do fluff dice rolls as a DM or not. Yeah. Um, personally, I haven't for a long time. Mm. I used to because I, I used to be one of those DMs that was not scared of letting my players die, but I didn't want them to because I knew how attached you were to your characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then my first death came in my campaign. I can't remember who it was. Um, I can't remember who it was. Um, so my first death came in the campaign, and I was thinking, actually, you put yourself in that situation, so I'm not going to fluff that one. <laughs> and then I realized I don't need to fluff these dice anymore because you guys are going to just put yourselves in those situations either way. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> As a yeah. DM, I think. Uh, sorry, Dougie. As a no, DM, no, carry on, mate. Please. Obviously, you're going to have your own certain kind of play style, and you want players that will uh, that adhere to that. Um, but I think you also, a lot of the time, you've got to find that balance between how you want to DM and how those players want to play. Um, so, again, are those beginning sessions. The character's mind that you are, you know, if you're more concerned about the mechanics of the game, the combat, the players are more concerned about that, then leave those dice alone. How they land, they land. Um, but if people are more interested in the story, the narrative, making it interesting, and um, they may not want a character to die until it's really crucial, until it means something. And um, every now and then, you might just want to, whether they know it or not make a number up say it misses says it hits um, I think me personally I would try and tailor what I do to my table to those players what they want yeah agreed um, I, I I do agree to some extent though um, I do however think that I, I use a lot of miniatures when we're around the table and I use a lot of um, scenery and I have that set up in a little cart next to me, which again is protected by the DM screen. So I don't want my players to be able to look at that cart and go, okay, so he's bringing out 
20 goblins in the next time. Okay, so, uh, right, we need to do this. I also, I think that not having the DM screen aids in metagaming, whether it's intentional or not. Mm. I, I I can see both sides, absolutely. For I think for novice DMs or early DMs, the screen affords a layer of protection for them. It's their buffer where if they do something wrong, they can hide it. Yeah. Um, and I think it takes a very confident DM to play without a screen. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm very much one of those DMs where, and, and Dave will tell you, the dice fall how they fall. Yeah. If a character dies, they die. If they get out, they get out. If a party doesn't read the game well enough and put themselves into a scenario where they're going to get hurt, mm. they're going to get hurt. Yeah. And, yeah. and they have done. Um, on the other side, there have been in scenarios where they should have got more hurt than they've done, and the dice just worked in their favour, and they breezed it, absolutely yeah. breezed it. But um, I also believe that, as, as Dave and yourself have said, that there are times where the story drives what happens, not the dice. And, and I have fudged some dice rolls before, both for the benefit of the party and against them, mm. um, in order to make the story work. Um it's just how it goes, but uh, I see I see the benefits of both. Yeah. Um, speaking about characters dying, Dave, you had your first character death recently. I did. I did. Can I, I just need a moment of silence, please? Pierre, Pierre is gone. I'm 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 still in mourning. How did that make you feel? Obviously, having that your first real character death and you loved that character i did i really enjoyed that character i had so many plans for that character i think i spoke about it last week um it was just it, it was actually heartbreaking i think not well not not really but i remember when i i was watching critical role campaign 2 spoilers for those who haven't seen it when talison's first character molly uh, molly mork died he had to excuse himself from the table because, you know, he was so attached with that character. And I kind of understand how he feels now because I had had so many plans for that character. I'd gotten to know his ins and outs, like what he'd been doing beforehand and, you know, where he was planning on going, the things that were driving him. And I just, that's not going to happen now. Like me and you discussed afterwards, didn't we? That, um, there's a chance that I might be able to bring him back or resurrect him because I was always going to multi-class him as a warlock. And I thought, okay, so maybe in that moment of death, did he strike a deal with his, with a, with a patron, um, to allow, to be allowed to be resurrected. But then I kind of thought, well, another character had already died in your campaign. Two. Two? Two? Yeah. Two? Who was the I second? It was two. <clears throat> no, it was Rob's character died. Um, oh, no. Um, Chris's character left, didn't he? Yes. Um, so I was thinking, well, he's already died and he wasn't really given the chance to resurrect. And I didn't want to make it seem like my character is better than your character. And I already had a really good concept for a new character, which I'm not going to spoil yet. You know it. Yeah, I do. Um, and... I 
thought, okay, no, I'll, I'll go with this new character. Um, but Pierre will always live on inside. Yeah. Andy, you had a, um, a recent scenario where not a character died, but uh, it's sort of... We did a recon. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Well, when we started this campaign with Dave, how long ago now, Dave, did we begin t- Lost Minds? Two years. Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a while, mate. And... Um, yeah, I came up with the rogue. Excuse, me, for excuse me a second. I just want to say it hasn't taken us two years to get through Lost Mine of Fandelva. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that was about six months. But we've been in out of the abyss since, you know, playing every, playing every two weeks. Well, I was in and out of Elmop because of the kids. Um, but yeah, I, I started off with Tynos the Rogue and leveled him up to level five. Um, and as much as I enjoyed it, again, I was I was hungering for that magic swordsman. I wanted something just a little bit more, a little more flavour to it. Um, so in one of our sessions in Out of the Abyss, we ended up, I don't know how we came across it. It was, it was magnificent, um, deck of many things. It was the aided item, which was left by the portal by Rod, to assist us with the dragon if we decided to fight him. Yeah. I should probably explain Rod before you go on. Rod is go a on. Rod is a character I stole off somebody else years and, and years ago. You. Yeah, and you've stolen off me too. Rod, R-O-D-D, stands for Resident of a Different Dimension. Um, So he can pop up anywhere, and he's my get-out-of-jail-free card. So if the players are stuck or they need a magic item or there's a special event like Dougie, you used him for my birthday and threw me a birthday party in the game using yep. Rod. It was great. He pops up normally for me in the in the veil of a, a little pink-haired gnome, um, but, it, but he has made it very well known that he can appear as anything because he, he's very often like, oh, is that what I am right now? Okay. And he he has this magic um, bag that he dives into and um, throws items out of and brings up the perfect item that the players need to get them through this situation because they're really stuck. I don't like seeing players stuck because it stops the story. And to me, D&D is all about the story. Yeah. So I use Rod for that. Now, you guys were um, running around the Underdark for months trying to find your way out and you eventually were like right we'll go here okay but it was taking you ages to get there so i thought right rod needs to come in and say i've heard about a magic portal that can get you there however it's guarded by a big monster i've put something there for you it might help you if you can get at it and you found this magic portal it was protected by a a, an adult red dragon because i've never used a dragon in dungeons and dragons before um, and you found the deck of many things. Anyway, sorry, Andy. Carry on. <laughs> well, we defeat the dragon. Um, no, you don't. No, we do. Well, no, we you don't. Sweet talked him. I, I, I use silent image since I'd used the feast and magic initiative. Um, to make him believe I was gonna cast a giant fireball on his horde and melt it. So. The dragon transforms into the portal, 
we jumped through, me last, uh, not before scooping up a lot of gold. And, um, well, to go back in time a bit, I'd come back into the game two or three sessions before this. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And the only character that my character knew coming back into the game um, was Evendor. Um who's a character that's gone now. So I kind of felt like for everyone else being kind of or me feeling almost new to it, maybe the older character was getting a bit stale and wasn't fitting in as much, at least in my own mind. Um I wasn't enjoying his role play as much. Um so yeah, I think I needed a new start. So after jumping through the portal um, and speaking to the DM I decided to pull out the wish card and um We rigged it so that was the card that you pulled out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so after being in the underdark he's kind of gone quite a bit stay crazy, fearful, um he's not had the best life. So for him, in his own mind, going back thinking like what was the turning point, what really made his life go downhill was the death of his parents when he was young. So um using wish um, to wish that that had never happened, um, the timeline changes. And at the start of Lost Minds, when you first get a job as the players in there for uh, Gundam Rockseeker, instead of Tynos being there, it was my new character, uh, Alphonse. Yep. So it changed the, in- the the fabric of the entire reality to say that Tynos had never been there. Alphonse had always been there and the players knew him just as well as the new Tynos. Yeah. That's not to say that Tynos can't show up later mm. on and i may have plans for tynos but um, yeah, and that's um that story of you not gelling with your character and finding it working with the team um it's pretty much the same as why colors dear um he basically done a runner mm. I, I was playing a um, wood elf uh, ranger that's was originally designed for a one shot, um, joined Dave's game. Um, but he was designed to kill things, basically annihilate them. He was a hunter <laughs> and, uh, he, he was very good at what he'd done. And, um, I, f- again, I think I mentioned it before. I felt he was taking the combat side of the game away from a lot of people. um, so yeah the un- he saw um Tynos become Alphonse um obviously the change in reality meant he didn't know what was going on but there was something in the back of his mind he was aware of and he just snapped he's cracked he, yeah. he just he I think we uh, defeated some bandits that were raiding uh Fandalin um, he then went into the pub, which was their headquarters, burned it to the ground out of anger, and then went off into the night. He did. <laughs> Very well, dramatic. Kind of, do you kind of find, I mean, for D&D, and a lot of RPGs, is, is story relationships and relationships between the players. And I think we're coming back into the game after the kids um, and the party being completely different. I felt like the relationship 
wasn't there. So even though, like, story-wise, Alphonse has already been there, he's done everything with them, for me, having a new character and being able to re-gel with this new party and these new characters made it a lot easier. Thanos just wasn't, in my mind, fit, and it just felt a bit disjointed. The, the dynamics didn't work for you. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's something that uh, my new character's got to um, got to find because obviously you, the way you done your storyline was Alphonse was always there. Yeah. So actually you've got that natural gel and he was always there from the beginning. Mm. Whereas the new character I'm bringing in is a brand new character. So yeah. actually he's got to find and build them relationships from the bottom up again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's something as a player you should never be afraid of talking about your DM. He's not your DM shouldn't be worried if you if you come to them and say I'm really not enjoying this character because it's not it's not on the DM to make sure your your characters are you're enjoyed by the players. You know, you've, you if you're not gelling with your character, okay, no problem, make a new one. You, you don't have to have a character there that you're playing until he dies or until there's a, a place in the story him to go out you know if, if you're not gelling with your character it's a game you're supposed to enjoy it make a new character simple as that yeah yeah i agree that yeah absolutely so moving on to the next topic how do you set or how should you set the difficulty class in encounters in a game such as D? Now I'm asking this question because it's not something I I know much about because I use encounter builders to help me calculate that. So, well, the encounter builder is slightly different to setting a DC for things like tasks and yeah objectives. So we're, we're talking about sleight of hand checks, stealth checks, ah. perception checks, rather than the difficulty level of an encounter. Yes. Now you see. That's just me messed that up then, because I've when it, when you said DC, I had challenge rating in my head, the CR of a monster. Totally. Okay, so brief. difficulty. I know that now. <laughs> difficulty <laughs> class. I can talk about this because I know what this is. <laughs> yeah. So for me, um, there there are guides and hints on player's handbook and DM's guide and stuff that give you advice and suggestions, but. I like to analyze it based on the environment that's going on. So baseline, always 10. Absolutely. Baseline is a 10. Yeah. Then I look at, is there, is weather a factor that's going to do it? Is there time an issue that's going to make them run? Um, are they being hunted by people where they've got to do this and make them do it faster than they would do and lose court, uh, concentration have they got the right tools to do it and each one of these negatives increases for me the dc by two each time by two so, yeah always okay. by two um until we get to the point where yeah i found the dc i want to be at and that's what it works there are scenarios where actually they've asked to do something that goes completely against the story or what i've got planned or what i need to do and um for them for them situations the dc's just set so high that they'll never succeed on it but your players don't know that so it still gives that sandbox feeling exactly mm. unlike unlike uh, how i got into out of the abyss. unlike our uh, out of the abyss event yes yeah. <laughs> okay so i am walking or my character is a heavy built fighter walking through a dungeon and he comes across a I don't know. It's, it's, it's a sewer and he comes across a steel or an iron grate over the next bit of the tunnel that he needs to go down. 
Um, he's got a strength of 14. Yep. Um, uh, has a decent amount of weapons on him, you know. Uh, what would the DC be? So is is it, again, is it locked? Is it, it is a metal grate. Oh, it into no, the door. It's a metal grate. There's no door. It's just iron bars coming from the ceiling to the ground in a sewer. Okay, so I would say, um, obviously, base DC is 10. Being a sewer, it's probably quite slippery and grippy, so I would say they struggle to get a good grip on it. Yep. So that would go up to 12. Um, again, it's uh, the environment. Are, are they being hunted by anyone? Is there anything else nearby? Have they got a good foot? Can they get a good foot grip? So it might be slippery there as well. I think a DC 14 is a, enough to break the bars open. Okay. And maybe and maybe strength checks to sustain that to let the rest of the party through. Okay, fair dues. Any thoughts on that, Andy? I think that's a good measure of adjustments. Um, I would generally just use the player's handbook or the DM's guide where, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, from easy to its hardest. Um, and I'd adjust it with that. If I thought there was something working against the player or for them, I'd go for the easiest route. Me personally, which is like one of the best mechanics um, in the game, which is advantage and disadvantage. I'd keep it nice and simple just for me as a DM to get through that section, continue the story. Um, but I do like the idea of the adjustments by two. Like even if it was, if I was set it originally as a hard DC, if the player was able to make like say an investigation check and there was some loose stone or cobble on some of the bars or something like that, then I could then lower it by five or the two or give them advantage on that because of what they found. Um, but after listening to Dougie, my previous preconceived notions, I'm going to have to adjust because I quite like what he said there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a you know the, the up and down by two is a good is a good method actually. I might adopt that yeah. myself. And sometimes I don't even make them to do a roll if if they're in perfect conditions. They've got all the tools, and it's it's part. Of, for example, a rogue is in a house. He's robbing the house. There's a little lockbox. There's no rush. No one knows he's in there. Would, would you really need him to make a roll for a, a sleight of hand for the thieves' tools? Yeah, yeah. And that comes in hand hand with knowing your players. Uh, if, you know, the really big, strong half-orc um, trying to bash down the door, do we really need to make him make a strength check? Or is it really in his ability? Because he's the guy who's going to do it. If you've got the barbarian who's supposed to kick doors through... Um, for the most part, unless he comes up against something more specific, he should be able to just bust, bust that right down. But yeah. we all know critical role, their biggest enemy was doors. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. So. I love that sound effect. It's this week's spell spotlight. What spell have we got this week, Dougie? Well, we've done our random die roll. Uh, we've gone up a few levels this time. We've gone from a cantrip to a second level spell, and this one is Heat Metal. Yeah, so that, as Dougie said, this is a second level transmutation spell. Um, it's got a damaging effect of fire. It uses verbal, semantic, and material components. The materials are a piece of iron and a flame. 
It does. It has a concentration of up to one minute, and it is limited by the classes Bard and Druid. And the casting time is a full action. So, quite effectively, this spell will turn any manufactured metal object that you can see within 60 feet and cause it to go very hot very quickly. So potential uses for this. Andy, how would you use this spell? I mean, it's, it's perfectly suited for combat for the guy wearing armor. Yeah. Um, a, a little sadistic, but I mean, you could really recreate the scene in A Song of Ice and Fire where Ned Stark's father and brother get burned in their own armor in the throne room. Yeah. That's a little overly dramatic for <laughs> as, as a torture role-play torture spell, absolutely beautiful. I mean, I generally, as a player, don't want to go into torture. It's not. It's, I think it's a bit too dark sometimes, but, I mean, when you look at a spell like that, you can you can let your the sadist thing yet flourish a little coming off the uh, the torture side of things a little bit you can all, you can also use it for i don't know um cooking you could heat a grate and cook on it have a barbecue uh for a minute though yeah it's all right make it hot enough you'll cook a steak it's fine i do like the idea of things like um using it to carve through ice to make a, a shelter or something yes. as opposed to just use prestidigitation or something to create a fire by getting something so hot that you can carve through ice or something yeah. like that is it's another benefit as well it's, yeah. it's a very versatile spell yeah well, you, how about in you know if you put it in tandem with a medicine check and you cauterize a wound that's a really good use for it yeah and you've, you you know you've got the disarming method with it as well you heat up the sword Oh, that's that's Superman with his laser eye beams in it. Yeah, yeah, and then then they've obviously got the uh, they can make a Constitution save um, to try and get the object off, which is obviously very difficult in armor, unless they've got the armor of this Robin or whatever it's called. Yeah, so I think I think this spell it, it has a, a lot of good uses. But what are some of the downsides of this spell? the damage output for a second level spell is fairly low um, at 2d8 fair enough it's it's sustained so if if you are talking about your fighter in his armor um they're not going to be able to get plate armor off very quickly so you're going to get that full damage output throughout the entire um throughout the entire one minute of combat but the, the damage output isn't great um, the only saving grace for the spell is the fact that it's got a 60-foot range, so you don't need to actually touch the target, Yeah, which I think would make it more balanced. In terms of getting into like an enemy's head as a DM, it's a good way. You might not be doing a lot of damage, but a knight in armor is not going to want to be fighting someone when they're burning inside. So, you know, for 10 rounds of combat, they might not be in the game. And, and mechanically, that includes that too as well. So it does say if a creature is holding or wearing the object and takes damage through it, uh, it must succeed on a con save and throw or drop the object if it can. Mm. So there's the criteria. If it doesn't drop the object or it can't, it has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks until the start of your next turn. Nice. Does that got any higher level casting? Uh, it does, yes. If you uh, cast it each spell higher than um, second, it increases by 1d8. 
Right, okay. But again, you look at 3d8 for a third level spell as opposed to 8d6 fireball that can affect more than one creature. Yeah, yeah. I know what I'd go with. Yeah, absolutely. So that was our spell for this week. That was Heat Metal. It's a second level transmutation spell. Okay. I think, Dave, I think that. that's about it. I think it is. Yeah, we're at 55 minutes. It just goes quick. So, so quick, doesn't it? It does. So anyway, hopefully um, you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Do you want to do the socials, Dougie? And we've got past the seventh episode. Well, Yay. we've we've uploaded six so far. So this one oh, will go up now. Yeah. Well, it will be. Yeah. So we've uploaded five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, by the time this one goes out, we'll have uploaded seven. Yeah. When this one goes, this is episode seven, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Socials are facebook.com slash Dungeon Drift. Um, email dungeondrift at gmail.com. Please send us uh, questions if you have them. Uh, don't forget to like us on Facebook and uh, follow us on your favorite platform for listening to podcasts. Um, I don't think I have anything else to say. Do you, Dougie? No, obviously we've we've started advertising on social media now on uh, different groups, different platforms and stuff. So um, if you'd like to spread them links on various Discord chats or whatever group chats you're a part of, the more people we get listening, the uh, the more questions we'll get, and hopefully we'll be able to go on to bigger and better things. Hopefully, yeah. So thank you very much for joining us this week, Andy. No, thank you. No, and thank you. Send our regards to the family, mate. Yep. They don't deserve it. <laughs> I think we'll leave it on there. Thank you very much. <laughs> Goodbye from me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.